3: Second time done off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home those 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 guys. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Oh, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You well, don't know what you're talking about. What if you want to oh, do that? Okay, I'd say it to you, but I'll just not safe it to what now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them with what we? you're doing down here, you show me man.
1: <laughs> Hello there and welcome to the between Christmas and New Year's, our time Second Captain's football podcast with all my debit and a newly bespectacled Kennery. Newly bespectacled though? Well, you are wearing new specs. I yes. uh, suppose you have been bespectacled for <laughs> For many, many years. <laughs> More years sense. than I care to remember. I don't even need to ask how your Christmas went. The evidence is before my eyes. Spectacular. Spectacular in your specs. No doubt about the villain of the festive football season so far.
2: Oh yeah? Do you want to have a guess? Uh, I'm going to say you will go for Harry the Hornet.
1: Yes, Harry the Hornet. Wasco. Uh, Wasco's? That's not even a word. Watford's bad boy mascot. Wasco. Wasco, Wasco could be a word somewhere. I don't know uh, yeah. the mascot of out of order is, is out of order, isn't he? Asked Big Sam rhetorically back in football as Crystal Palace manager. So if people missed the disgraceful scenes between these two sides on Stephen's Day. And box, should we call it Boxing Day for the? Uh, well, for the purposes of the football, we football. might as well call it Boxing Day because yeah, that's, that's just
2: that it's, right? it. Just sort of seems weird to talk about the Saint Stephen's Day football, even though obviously we are committed to Saint Stephen's Day. Oh
1: yeah, what a saint!
2: As the as the um, stone to death, I believe. Huh? Uh, not, a, not a great way to go. No. I uh, can't remember what it was for, uh, but evidently someone took a, a poor view. Um, so we'll we, we'll say Boxing Day just for this, but it's not because we're cultural traders mm. or whatever it is that people get annoyed about. So
1: Wilfred Saha, Palace attacker, goes in a little bit easily looking for a penalty. Mm. Uh, at the end of the game, <laughs> he's applauding his supporters walking off the pitch. And Harry the Hornet, the rival club, uh, the rival club's mascot, Dives to the ground, mocking in a mocking, sort of uh, exaggerated manner, directly at the feet, pretty much, of Zaha, who doesn't take too kindly to this, Mm. looks quite furious at being mocked. Zaha has 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 his reputation as a man who likes to take a dive now and again. Not take a dive in the old boxing in the 1930s. No. Ruled by the mob taking a dive. I'm not saying he's fixing matches here. I'm saying jumping on the ground looking for penalties. Yeah. Which is uh, not that acceptable, but a lot lot better than the other. So anyway, uh, yeah, Harry the Hornet has has stirred it up, Ken.
2: Yeah, I like Damien Delaney's quote. What was that? It's unnecessary, really. He's the mascot, so I don't understand why he's getting involved. Maybe he thinks he is more important than he is. For a mascot to be be doing that, it's uncalled for. (laughs) So, uh, not many laughs. uh, Although, I mean, you can kind of understand Zaha. Being annoyed by this, I mean, this is this is quite a memorable image, you know. It got turned into a sort of, you know, obviously a bit of a slow news day usually, and uh, not a lot going on, a lot of a lot of people on on di- downtime and whatnot, and it was pretty much on the cover of all the newspapers, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, as uh, Sam Allardyce called for an FA investigation. I mean. <laughs> He, Sam Allardyce obviously has a few bones to pick with the FA, <laughs> yeah. and uh, maybe he likes the idea of um, setting them off in this ridiculous investigation. Well, but maybe maybe he thinks, well, you you know, with their attitude to uh, to breaches of of perceived you know norms, uh, they'll come down on this guy like a ton of bricks.
1: Damien Delaney obviously hasn't been paying enough attention to Harry the Horner because now, in fairness, I only was paying attention myself because I'd heard that this had happened and then I wanted to see it on Match of the Day. Mm. But that wasn't the first interjection of the Hornet because Troy Deeney banged in his 100th goal for the club after yeah. a long wait, uh, smashed home a penalty, yeah. old school, straight down the middle. And who was in the middle of celebrations with hired the Hornet, right in with the players. You don't you don't often see that with mascots. So maybe, maybe Delaney's right. Maybe he has got ideas above his station, but clearly he's a valued member of the team and of the club and it's mm-hmm. within, he's within his rights to have a pop at an opposing player if he feels...
2: Well, yeah, but you know, it's all it's all been one-way traffic so far, really, hasn't it? So, I suppose we'll have to wait and see uh, how this one turns out. I mean, you don't always, you know, sometimes uh, you reap the whirlwind. You know, when you're the if
1: if you're Harry the Hornet,
2: well, if you want to if you want to participate, if you don't want to just stay on the margins of the game, Mm -hmm. if you actually want to become a central figure then don't be surprised if it comes back to bite you at some
1: stage. See what you're saying. Someone's going to whip the hornet's mask off and we're going to see what lurks beneath. Just, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, that, I would, that would probably get in the cover of the papers you know, as yeah, well, you know? Might be the, the mask
2: stuff. taken off and kicked into the crowd. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Bob Bradley sacked in the last uh, 24 hours or so. We're going to get Jonathan Wilson's thoughts on that a little bit later. Ken is going to report on some bloody sport.
2: So, um, I guess we should start with Chelsea, who are currently top of the league with more points than any of the last 10 Premier League champions after a club record winning run was extended thanks largely to an absolutely brilliant display by Eden Hazard who obviously was up against one of the best in the business zone, Harry Arthur. and it wasn't, wasn't a game that Harry Arthur well I suppose it's a game winner learned as they say and he learned a great deal this is like um, you know a PhD in getting the run around uh, that Harry Arthur experienced from Chelsea's false nine, Eden Hazard, who was playing there because Diego Costa was suspended and um, because Antonio Conte really, really rates Michi Batshuayi, but thinks that he's still got a lot to learn about the league. Uh, it's the first time we played without a real forward, Conte said. Uh, I think for at the mo- for us at this moment, the situation is the best, but I don't forget Michi. He's a young player with great talent. I trust in him. He's adapting. So... um So, Hazard was just amazing. I mean, this is, you know, an absolutely ridiculous... Everything he does is perfect. The only, you know, you take off maybe 0.1 of a point for the fact that his 20-yard attempted Rabona uh, went slightly over the bar instead of going in for a goal. But he scored one and set up a goal for Pedro and was given the 94-minute substitution by Conte just so he could... uh, So, Hazard could milk the applause and also that Conte could hug him in front of everybody. Um... So, yeah, everything just just uh, coming up. Chelsea at the moment.
1: He's been hugging a lot of. He's been hugging Diego Costa quite a lot. Costa yeah. not shy of l- ignoring his, his teammates and going and celebrating with his manager quite a lot. There's a, well, why wouldn't he? a lot of love going on there. So no, it's just nice to see Conte spread the hugs around. That's Diego
2: Costa would, would sandpaper the f- skin off your face, though, wouldn't he? He's got a very stubbly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now <laughs> uh, Hazard is more smooth. Um, more of a smooth
1: man. Easier, easier hugged. Um,
2: there was a story about Hazard just the other day uh, from Rio Mavuba, his uh, erstwhile teammate uh, at Lille. Uh, He tells the story of Hazard in May 2012, just before he left, uh, just before he left Lille. Basically, they were playing uh, this last game of the season, excuse me, they knew they were going to finish third, no matter what happened. Um, playing against Nancy in the last day. So he says we were certain of it started. we were facing Nancy the following day. It was Hazard's last match with Lille, and he wanted to organize a little something. We decided to go have a little drink. A little drink that dragged on somewhat. The following morning, Eden was still drunk. That evening against Nancy, not even with thirty minutes played, he had already bagged a hat trick. The guy had not even slept. He drank for the entire night, and he put away a hat trick in thirty minutes. We all looked at each other and said, We told ourselves, this guy is the real deal.
1: Uh, (laughs) I didn't know that's the way they still judge it these days oh it is
2: 100% if you want to win the respect of your teammates go drinking all night and then score a hat trick in the first half hour and there's there's just nothing like it (laughs) there's nothing like it to win the respect of uh, remember remember this is his last game for the club Uh, they've already seen Hazard they've seen all the aspects of his game they've seen a lot of him but that was what convinced him this guy this
1: guy he's going to make it all the way to the top. In fairness, at a much lower level, I was playing a five-a-side game with friends once, and one of my teammates did the exact same, achieved the same feat, Ken. A little something, a little, he'd little drink. drink. He'd been drinking all night. He started with a little drink. It dragged on. Mm-hmm. He was drinking all night, or at least for a fair portion of it. Banged in a quick-fire hat-trick. Almost like he had to convince himself that he was okay to play football. Mm. Quick-fire hat-trick, followed by a little vomit in the in-goal area. Yeah. Followed by a lot of standing around. And I think ultimately... Self substitution with about ten minutes to go. I've seen exactly exactly the same
2: thing happen. i went with a friend of mine, in Vancouver Darren Dunn. I hope he's listening. Uh, do do just that, and and again exactly the same pattern: winning goal and then uncontrollable vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> just on his knees, sort of Joy- hugging, hugging. Um, Joyous vomiting, victorious. Awful, but uh, but a nice goal, and no no one was any the wiser. Um, but yes, yeah, that's that's how I started. Uh, amazing, but also doing amazing things on Boxing St. Stephen's Day, was Henrik Mkhitaryan. The question here is, does it ruin a goal to be illegal? Well, this goal, of no. course, was not called as being legal, although it was clearly offside. Like, clearly offside. Hmm. I mean, ridiculous. How, how did they manage to miss this? Um, and yet, does it really make that much of a difference that the goal was offside? The nature of the goal. I mean, okay, if the defender had been... If he'd been level with the defender, maybe he wouldn't have been able in position to deliver this um, scorpion backheel. Uh, A type of goal that you only ever see... I mean, the only one I can think of, Raphael van der Vaart once scored a goal a bit like this. I can't think of too many players who have. Um,
1: Zlatan's surely got something along those lines over uh, the years. probably, yeah. Zlatan's got a few nice backheel goals. But, yeah, unbelievable.
2: Zlatan, who apparently only needs two league goals um, to... Pass out. Lionel Messi is the top goal scorer of 2016 in the league football, which is pretty pretty incredible. Really? Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. Well, he scored. I mean, he scored 50 goals for PSG last season. Yeah. Um. So you know, which is quite a lot. And uh, and a couple more uh, on New Year's Eve. I think. Yeah, he's playing on New Year's Eve. We'll uh, we'll put him top of the pile at the age of 35.
1: Do you think the spectacular nature of the goal is ultimately what confused the linesman? <laughs> no. Because surely he should have noticed that he was in an offside position. But maybe he was about to raise the flag. I'm not saying this, I'm not saying, I'm trying to be smart and saying that subconsciously he wanted the goal to stand. I yeah. so mean maybe, maybe it was just a, such an unusual action that he possibly froze momentarily maybe. as he saw this being executed. And then by the time he realised, hang on, that guy was offside, he just couldn't rule it out.
2: Yeah, it would have been sort of spoiling. I mean, he could, could have still watched the goal. I mean, it's like um, the, the best goal I've ever seen ruled out. Was Cristiano Ronaldo's goal for Portugal against Spain? If you, I don't know if you remember, this is just after Spain had won the World Cup, and Portugal beat them four 0 in a friendly, and Ronaldo scored a goal in this game, which was honestly probably the best goal he's ever scored. Mm. It would have been, but it wasn't because it was disallowed. Ronaldo ran into the box on the left, beat, I think he was two, you know, kind of cut back, beat two men, and then with the outside of his foot scooped a sort of chip from, you know, the kind of corner of the six-yard box over the goalkeeper, which is going in the far top corner until Nani arrives to steal the goal with a header yeah, on the goal line. Uh, offside. But Nani's offside. So, and, and it produced one of the all-time great R- Cristiano Ronaldo um, uh, petulant reactions uh, because, because it was like, it would have been the monument to his career. You know, it would have been, you know, when you see this goal, you see the whole of football. Uh, except that Nanny had had tried to steal it, and in so doing, sabotaged everything.
1: Yeah, I'm just gonna get that goal up here, Ken. If yeah. You don't mind, so you 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 talk away there.
2: But the goal, despite the fact that it didn't exist in, in one sense, is still an immortal uh, moment. I mean, everyone can kind of
1: see it. it <laughs> Nanny, sh- what are you doing? You see it <laughs> now. The ball, the, the ball is on the goal line yeah. going into this no I know you're, you're supposed to make <laughs> the reaction is pretty good so. <laughs> I can't really add anything to your description it's all perfectly accurate and it's just hilarious to watch I urge anyone if you're at a computer to watch this goal now you can pause you can you can pause and come back to us we'll still be here yeah. just get it up here. Amazing. I don't know who that defender is is that Puyol I don't know who it is no Puyol's the oh, Puyol's struggling to make an, make an impression on this either
2: yeah ah nanny and it's for Portugal against the world actually, champions
1: actually there's a debate that that ball was already over the line it looks like it might have even been overline by the time Nani needlessly headed it. In it was case, it should cer- have it was, stood.
2: It was certainly at least that close. Oh, wow. um, but you know, the goal—the goal remains. I mean, the, the fact that it was ruled out didn't spoil it. I mean, the the thing that m- means it's not spoiled is that Ronaldo didn't do anything wrong. It was another player who committed the minor infringement that has it ruled out. Whereas in the case of Mkhitaryan, he w- actually was offside, hmm. so it does influence what happened to an extent. I mean. You know the defenders are that that little bit further away than legally he he should have been, but uh, nice work, nice work by him, and he's gone from being um, he's he's gone from being this sort of mystified um, spectator at United games to being you know the one of the most important players in the team and an example used by Jose Mourinho to you know to, for uh, for other players a reference point as they would say for other players to look to. Notably, Anthony Martial, who, whose agent, uh, is is quoted as saying that they're looking at the option of moving to Sevilla. We're studying Sevilla option in detail. Sevilla, a very good club, at a good position in La Liga, playing the Champions League, and have a great coach. That's all I can tell you. Um, so, you know, I find it I find it extraordinary that that this is even sort of being discussed. Whether it's actually going to happen, I don't know. Because what Mourinho is saying now is that Anthony Martial needs to look at Henrik Mkhitaryan. Uh, he says uh, each player is different. I had this situation, a situation. I had this season, a situation that was even more difficult than Anthony McIntyrean. McIntyrean was completely open and understood, understood the differences, uh, difference between me and other coaches. He had the difference between the demands of the Premier League and the Ukrainian league or even Bundesliga, complete different philosophy of play. And he worked a lot without playing, but he worked a lot to try to reach the level. <laughs> so just you know. The, the point here, obviously, the subtext, the main point that Mourinho is making. Well, he, he goes on to say, Anthony, that's Anthony Martial, is very very young. People forget, last season Manchester United played completely differently. He was basically playing up front. The team had lots of passive ball possession, just waiting to put it into space for Anthony to go and score a goal. This season's more difficult. He needs a little bit of time to improve. So he's he's saying, learn, learn from Mkhitaryan.
1: So was he saying that they were the team were essentially playing for Martial last year?
2: Uh, more or less in, in the, in the set up that the style of play made it easy for him because he didn't really have a lot to do apart from wait for a through ball and, and he'd burst run on, on it, it and
1: calmly slot on.
2: now he is he is he, he's obviously putting out there his version of history in which Henrik Mkhitaryan didn't play for the first three months of the season more or less because for like four months and three and a half months because he wasn't up to the pace of the Premier League but now thanks to the coaching of Jose Mourinho and his staff he has reached that level and now he can play now that's one way to interpret what happened another you know way is that maybe they made a mistake by leaving him out I'm sure they had their reasons for it but on the basis of his contribution since he has been playing you wonder how many more points they would have if he'd been in the team
1: for a manager though it is useful having that example to point to it's a pretty healthy situation if you can show the other show your Anthony Martials of this world and whoever else has been in and out of the team or not even in the team at all that there is a way through. You yeah. know, okay, I'm I'm this dominant egotistical manager and all the rest of it. But if you prove yourself in training, I will ultimately give you the give you the shot. And if you prove yourself in the team, you're in the team, which not every manager does, you know. Some managers are complete, completely set in their team and if you're frozen out, you're frozen out. So it's not it's probably in, okay, maybe it has cost them a few points, but long term it might be the worst. I mean the worst thing yeah. in the world that it took him a while to break in.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, you know, Andy Dufresne. <laughs> Henrik McIntarian, who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean <laughs> on the other side. This is what, this is what uh are saying. Of course wrongly imprisoned as well. Um that's the other thing.
1: <clears throat> was he wrongly imprisoned? Andy Dufresne, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, of course of course he was. I mean if he'd been a double murderer or whatever, it wouldn't have been such a feel good story when he
1: escaped. Um, no, hard would have been harder to root for. Him, but
2: wrong, wrongly imprisoned, uh, a little bit like, uh, like his Manchester United equivalent. Anyway, uh, good, good win for them. Rolling, rolling now nicely. Manchester United, and fancying their chances, I guess, of overhauling one or two of the teams. But we mentioned Sevilla. Speaking of Sevilla, mm-hmm. it hasn't been that great a Christmas, Owen, for Samir Nasri. I'm sure you probably have had some come come across some inklings of the story. Yeah. Which has electrified the internet.
1: Well you see I think I came to it late and also came to it late last night. So, so. what did you
2: gather from what from the from this fragments of information that you've pieced together so far? What do you think has gone think on his, here? His
1: phone had been taken looks, by his partner.
2: It looks as though
1: Perhaps he was not happy with certain certain behaviours. Certain things somewhere.
2: so uh it seems as though um Samir Nasri engaged the services of of a firm that go under the Twitter handle at drip doctors uh, they seem to purvey sort of IV drips and whatnot to make you feel good I mean if you go to Las Vegas or something and you do the Eden Hazard on it um, you can you can always pay $100 to get an IV drip uh, set which, you up for the second day yeah it, it, it replaces all the fluids and electrolytes and whatnot that you've lost very quickly so that you feel great you're cheating nature uh Anyway, so apparently he got an Ivy Drip, but then he started to send these mysterious tweets in which he claimed that uh, the person who'd come to administer the drip also also administered certain other services. Uh, Well, uh, you also provided me a full sexual service too, right after. Set tweets Samir Nasri to at drip doctors this is to their tweet we provided Samir Nasri a concierge immunity IV drip to keep him hydrated and in top health during his busy soccer season with at Sevilla FC so, they, so Nasri then tweets you also provided me a full sexual service uh, guys make sure you too get this service please tell the world of the other concierge treatment your girl gave straight after the IV drip uh, and so on and so forth uh, then these tweets start to disappear from his account So Nasri then tweets, unfortunately, my Twitter keeps deleting tweets, but just letting you boys know if you're in the L.A. area and feeling lonely, message at drip doctors, Uh, so on and so forth. My account got hacked. Sorry about what happened earlier, tweeted uh, Nasri. But Nasri immediately replies to himself, sorry that I'm a terrible person and human being who has no loyalty to anyone, including my family or girlfriend of four years. Happy New Year. Uh, And so on and so forth uh, with the tweets going. It's Samir Nasri apparently disagreeing with himself. I suppose people can piece together what happened uh, from this, although we, I suppose there's, we don't have a full story, but we can make a reasonable guess. So a uh, very unfortunate mm-hmm. uh, and very sad situation for Mr. Nasri. But where are we? Um, we mentioned, you mentioned Tom at the start. Damien Delaney uh, saying the right things. Uh, if the club was going to make a change, I suppose there was only one man you'd want to get the job. Um, you can see we were a bit more resilient," uh, says Delaney. So he he knows exactly. He will bring resilience and good organisation, like he has done with all his teams. He will give us that with the firepower we have. Hopefully, we will be okay. And it was actually quite a good game, the um, Palace Watford. It was kind of enjoyable. I mean, it was when I say it was a good game, I mean that it was a funny game to watch because there was so many just balls booted straight up in the air and players running back and
1: forth. Um, yeah, I saw Graham Hunter retweeted a tweet that was talking about the you know, best league in the world or whatever it was. I think it was Graham who retweeted it. My apologies if not. Anyway, it was just a series of punts up and down the field, <laughs> overhead punts back down the field, headers. There were uh, in some cases, in some cases you do have to hit it long. Yeah, the, these were not long passes though; they were very much long balls. They
2: were very much long balls. Yeah. There. I mean, it was just hit it as hard as you can. You know, and and in many cases, with no need, like you know, the player at the base of midfield has the ball, like at his feet, in a good position to just play a simple pass and just booth it. Uh, obviously, all of them gripped by the hysteria surrounding them. Nobody could think straight. Um, it, was it, was <laughs> it was brilliant. It was brilliant to see, but um, and also a fantastic uh, penalty conceded by Aurelio Gomez. One of those ones that looks really funny on a. Uh, Replay where he, he runs over and literally just boots, like booted Christian Benteke out of his way. Benteke then promptly picked himself up and missed the penalty with a you know a short run up and cleverly placed penalty easily saved by Gomez. Benteke, but,
1: uh, I hope he looked at Troy Dini's later penalty and oh. saw how it was done. Benteke packs power; he could he could certainly whack a ball there in the middle.
2: See if you miss a penalty that you've struck at eighty miles an hour, it's it's never somehow as bad as missing one that you've just passed. You know, mm. the past penalties, okay, they often look good when they go in. Send the goalkeeper the wrong way. Hazard, he could easily like say, scored one actually like it just the other day. But, uh, you know, there's something about power that that um, absolves you in a way. It, it just never looks quite as bad. Um, what else? Liverpool were playing yesterday. Uh, they've now got their top scoring um, season, or top scoring year, I should say, calendar year in league football since 1989. Uh, 85 goals in 2016, which is uh, pretty good with a game still to go. Uh, that game is against Manchester City. Uh, Pep Guardiola was at Anfield watching Liverpool against Stoke. Um, maybe uh, he was here to watch good football, says Jurgen Klopp. I have no idea. He says, because he says he doesn't do this. It's a, I heard Pep Guardiola was here. I'm not sure if he watched a lot of games in the last few weeks in other stadiums of opponents. It's the first time it's a special game. We're looking forward to it. I respect them a lot, but I wasn't in the City Stadium this season or last season, only to play games. Maybe he was here to watch good football. I have no idea. Michael Edwards, the sporting director, sent me a message that Pep was here. Is it unusual? I don't know. I did it a lot in the past. It's not too easy anymore because it's more a signing hour than watching the game. Hopefully we had no security and Pep had to write all these autographs. So um, that game is on uh, New Year's Eve at Anfield. Uh, Should be good. The goal uh, or... Um, Stoke, had, Liverpool played really badly in the first half uh, but still went in 2-1 up which was, which was quite lucky but they played very badly Hughes, Mark Hughes said afterwards um, that what what Stoke had done it's kind of unusual for a manager whose team has just lost 4-1 to say we provided a template for other teams coming here but that's what he said um, on the basis that they had two men up front one of whom is Peter Crouch Uh, which very few teams have been doing at Anfield uh, this season and Liverpool couldn't really deal with it um, until, of course, they did and and started scoring a lot.
1: And Johnny Walters, of course.
2: Johnny Walters scored a nice goal. I mean, Carragher was blaming Mignolet. He usually likes to um, leave one on the goalkeeper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, Mignolet then made a good save just after that. It's like sometimes you save shots, sometimes you don't. You know, I don't know. I mean, no one no one thinks that Simon Mignolet is a, is the top goalkeeper, but it's kind of like he's in now. This is what you said. You said this guy should come in, and now you're saying this guy needs to be sold. It's like, you
1: know, go and source a goalkeeper, Jamie.
2: Source source a goalkeeper. But Daniel Sturridge scored the last goal, and he said, um, "You know, he, I don't mind being a substitute all the time." Of course, he hasn't been fit for the last few games, but he, he he's he's just he's positive about it. The goal was interesting because it was a. It was a back pass from Ryan Shawcross who didn't realize that Sturridge was there. But it was really stupid by Shawcross because a minute before, one minute before this happened, Sturridge had done exactly the same thing. It was obviously he was, it's hard to, players vary in how closely they watch the game that they're not involved in, even if they're on the bench. Some players pay full attention and have an idea of what to do. Maybe Daniel Sturridge is one of those players because when he came on, the first thing, what he immediately started doing was loitering behind the back line on the basis, well, clearly looking for exactly what happened. And he had been doing it just the moment before the situation when he scored. This time the ball hadn't actually come to him. But Shawcross evidently had no awareness uh, at any stage. It was really really poor by him. But sort of cunning by Sturridge, who I suppose is showing, uh, you know, even though he doesn't really seem to have much of a a future there because he doesn't run around enough. He does have he doesn't understand how to score goals Firmino obviously played, and this was despite his um being caught drink driving mm-hmm. uh, and Klopp said there was never any doubt that he'd play uh, he's been the best player in training i think some some people think you have a bit of an issue with that
1: yeah I think the people who any objection to him playing isn't based on his abilities of football it's based on the fact that he's just been. Convicted of something quite serious.
2: Well, drink driving is bad, you know. Yeah. I mean it's not like it's not sorry,
1: was he convicted? Is that the right phrase?
2: Oh he was he was caught. He was arrested. Arrested for, for oh, on Christmas Eve, yeah. And he was the best man in training, so there's no chance to leave him out, no chance. So Klopp uh just cares about what happens on the field and in the training ground, not so much on the streets. Uh although I'm sure he wasn't too happy with it.
1: That's it for Kennedy's report on sport. I'll
2: give you the unvarnished account of what happened, will I? There was a train at like one o'clock back to Paris. Arrived at the station in Saint-Étienne before that train was due to go to find utter bedlam. The seat numbers weren't being respected. It was with an air of foreboding. I went to find Class 41 and, as I expected, it already contained a tired-looking England fan, Jory Man, probably in his late 20s. He knew why I had come, and I looked at him sternly and waggled my ticket and said, Sorry, mate, it's actually my seat. And he said, Sorry, mate, we've actually just been told to sit anywhere. The seat numbers don't count. Basically, tough shit. I've sulked and stomped around a little bit and complained and sent angry text messages to people who didn't care. Then I thought, There's no point in just sitting here. Who knows what might happen? Possession was now
0: 100% of the law.
2: You have to go and find someone else whose seat you can take.
0: I started walking along the train, and in the very end, there was a couple of empty seats. Huh. I thought, that's interesting. I went down to the first empty seat I saw, tried to sit down. The England planter said, Sorry, mate, our friend's there. So I said, OK, moved up, went to the next empty seat, sat down. Guy next to it, no complaints. Well, the situation seems to have changed. I'm now one of the haves rather than the have nots. A few minutes later, as I suspected it might, previous other seat came along and said, sorry, mate, that's my seat. And I said, sorry, mate, my seat is actually Watcher 12, class 41, but there's someone sitting in it, so I just came and sat in this seat, which, which is an occupied, there's a lot of us in the same boat. And he said, but that's ridiculous, I've just gone to the canteen and I got this orangina. And I said, I know, I'm really sorry, it's really unfair. The system is a total shambles. He walked away saying the word Tosser. I felt bad for the guy, maybe he didn't realise that he was in the jungle, he still thought he was on the train, but this was actually a jungle. And I thought to myself... Well, you know, I can't really complain about that characterization of my behaviour at this moment. However, I do have a seat and I don't think anyone saw.
1: Not a great Christmas for Bob Bradley. He has been sacked from his job as Swansea's manager. Jonathan Wilson he is ready to chat to us about this. Jonathan, uh, I heard him on Talksport earlier on saying he's pretty pissed off this morning. Does he have a right to be pissed off?
3: Um, Yes and no. I mean, I feel pretty sorry for him that he, I think he came into a a very difficult environment. Um, You know, a club that I think has been run incredibly well for a decade is suddenly being run really badly. Um, And that means that, uh, I mean, not only is it obviously difficult that the club's been run badly, but I think expectations are are out of sync with reality at the moment at Swansea because of that. Um, And I, I think if you look at a lot of their transfer business recently, it's been pretty bad. And I think as a new manager coming in, you would have hoped... That you would have had at least one transfer window to try and sort things out and try and get your own people in. I um, mean, I went down to Wales and had dinner with him um, in November, and that was something he was talking about then. That you know, um, yeah. You know, so I you know, said to him, "Are you looking to bring people in in January?" And he just sort of laughed and went, "Obviously." Um, so I think he felt there were pretty clear shortcomings with that squad. Um, I don't know what assurances he got from the owners about that, but uh, you know, I think he he leaves. You know, 11 games, only two wins, 29 goals conceded. There's no real way of sugarcoating those figures. They're terrible. And I think if he'd stayed, Swansea almost certainly would have gone down. But I, I think it goes far beyond him. And he, he's, yeah, to a large extent, as much of a victim in this as as the, the club itself.
2: Well, the point that you made, Jonathan, about... the the way that Swansea has been run. I mean, it's been quite an unusual club in terms of uh, the involvement of fans. You know, they kind of took over the club, like, what's 2002 or something like that, and had sort of been running it until the summer when 68% of the club was bought by a consortium headed by two American investors, Steve Kaplan and Jason Levine. What did they do, or what are the changes that have happened since then which I, I mean, what I'm saying is, do you think all the changes have happened since that takeover, or were there already signs that something was going slightly awry with Swansea before?
3: Well, I think that's a fair question because um, their, their transfer business certainly has been really odd recently. If you look at it, you know, the uh, Boca Baston, Idair, Albert Palashi have all come in and all of them nothing. Um, the thing that happened with Nathan Dyer was really strange that beginning of last season they decided they didn't want him, he gets loaned out to Leicester. Uh, I don't think he even played a game. or say he didn't start a game for Leicester last season, and he comes back and he's suddenly given a four-year contract. Well, that's yeah, that makes no sense at all. So, either the the failure to to sign Joe Allen when he was available and, and you know, he has, has played really well this season for Stoke, somebody who you know, was his past was at the club clearly had an affinity with the club. Um, you could have, you know, you sort of think him and Sigurdsson could have been the, the, the base of something midfield of two players who've, who've sort of grown up there, gone away and come back. So I, I think there were problems uh, before Kaplan and Levine got there, but I think they've really accelerated them. Um, the fact that the, the fans, who still, I think, own 21% of the club, but they still have representation on the board, but they apparently weren't consulted at all about the appointment of Bradley. And that's. I mean, not sure it's entirely fair on Bradley, but you can see why people look at that and think, yeah, two Americans every point, the American coach, he's just their mate. I, I, you know, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the fact that they were aware of him sort of helped oil the wheels, but uh, I don't think it's the case that he was just a placeman for them. But I can see why people might think it, why it looks like that. You know, he looks like an insider getting a job. It looks like jobs for the boys. Um, and then the decision not to include the fans in that after you know, these ten years, when fans have been involved in everything, where Swansea's been held up as this case study for how how clubs can be refounded, how they can be run, how fans can have some some say in in, in shaping the direction they in. Um I think that was a terrible uh, error of judgment, and it it's sort of broken that bond that existed between fans and board. And then you know the thing that Swansea did really well was they had a, a clearly defined way they wanted to play. I mean, I I know this sort of the talk of the Swansea way. It's you know something a little bit cloying about that, something a little bit holy now about that. But what it does mean in practical terms is that your your transfer policy, your scouting, you know the type of player you want to sign, you know the characteristics you're looking for, and you bring in a coach to suit that, rather than constantly changing the playing personnel at great cost to, to suit whatever coach you've brought in. Now, I think that had started to break down. Um, yeah, be, be before uh, Captain Levine got there. Uh I, I think almost with from, from the end of Loudrip, you, you sensed that that model had slightly uh, gone off the rails. Um Gary Monk I, I guess was of a of a Swansea way of doing things, but there seemed to be kind of various personalities there between he and he and certain players. I'm not sure Gwedlin ever really fitted that. And and um I don't think there's any evidence that Bradley ever did.
2: Yeah. I mean the Joe Helding is, is is interesting in a way because you've got this guy who's a really good footballer, he's an international for Wales, had a brilliant European championships, um, is as far as I know, was actually down in Swansea, like sitting there waiting for them to confirm they were gonna sign him. And it didn't happen and he ended up going to Stoke. Now, I can kind of see how how this might have worked from the point of view of the owners. If you're kind of a couple of new American owners, you've got a sort of an analytics driven way of looking at things. And there's a guy who's literally, who seems to be desperate to sign you, sign for you, I should say, is a local hero, uh, you know, has, you know, a big favorite, kind of a, a cult figure or, you know, legitimately a hero to the supporters, you're already getting maybe some warning signs there. Oh, I don't know. There's a sentimental aspect to the signing. You know what I mean? Everyone is saying the conventional wisdom is sign Joe Allen. He will immediately improve your midfield by, you know, 100%. But they might be thinking, well, is this just the kind of, you know, explosion of sentimentality that's going on here? We, We have to be harder headed in the way we do our business. And maybe signing the hero, Joe Allen, isn't the way, to do things, I can kind of see how, how that might have seemed persuasive to them at the time. But if you have a hard-headed, you know, analytical, uh, you know, numbers-driven approach to the game, hiring and firing a manager within 11 games is, is the most basic mistake you can make.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think both those things are true. I think also I can understand um, why there'd be a reluctance to sign a, a former player, especially if you're new owners, but actually whoever you are, you sort of—I can see why you'd think. Well, you know, we want to kick on to the next level, and he was the old level, and we were sort of mid-table, lower mid-table. Then we want to be better than that, which is probably a misjudgment of the situation. But I can see how that—that that way of thinking could uh, could affect your judgment there. But I mean, that's that's you know, it's, it's a decision that looks terrible in retrospect. respect. Um, but it's one of many, is the point. If that was the only thing they got wrong. Yeah, fair enough. I, I can understand why they make the decision, but that plus the Nathan Dyer thing, plus the inability to sign forwards, plus the you know, the, the horror show of of, of a defence at the moment. You know, I mean, twenty nine goals conceded in eleven games. That's yeah, you know, that's not the basis for anything. And I, I guess you know, even if you're you're going by some kind of strict analytics model, if you're letting in you know uh, what, what, what what two and a half over two and a half goals a game, that's not going to keep you up. Yeah, at a very, very basic analytic level, you know that that's not good enough. So, I, I guess whatever your model is, uh, you get to a point. You know, how long was it? You know, Eighty-five days, where you think, well, I can't see this turning around quickly. Maybe if we get somebody in, maybe if you know, we let we let the new man have a go in the transfer window. Maybe we we can drag our way out of this. Not just to be fair on Bradley, but I can see why you as owners may think that. Yeah. I,
2: you know, what you, what you mentioned about the fans not having been consulted on this uh, or the fan representative sort of not, you know, not being put to him, what do you think of, of Bradley's idea that immediately sort of got people's backs up, you know, in a sense, Ugh. you know, the fans kind of felt we've been sidelined here. And and it, you can see how that immediately might have made them sceptical of Bradley. But what about his Americanness? Um, his it, uh, it seems to be an issue more so. Than it would have been with a foreign coach of another nationality. The fact that Bradley was American.
1: John Hartson Kent says no disrespect to Bob Bradley, but what does he really know about Swansea City in the Premier League? He'd probably never watched Swansea City live before. Yeah, I'd like you know, But if Bob Bradley is an unknown or a very little known Italian or Spanish manager, I, I don't think John Hartson's saying this, making the same point, is he?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a skepticism there about about Americans and football, and I think that's. It, it's diminishing, but it, it is still there. Of course it is. Uh, and so there's the accent thing. I, I guess that you hear a South European accent or an East European accent or a Scandinavian accent.
2: This man is and, steeped in the game.
3: And you sort of say, oh, you, you know, I've heard people taking that accent who I really respect. I'm not sure yet that we have an American voice uh, where we really think, oh, yeah, he was a great manager. Yeah, that's where he's coming from. So I, I, I do, and I think there's also the fact that I mean, it shouldn't matter, but I can see why. When he said PK, not penalty, the other day, you sort of instinct, oh, what's that? And he corrected himself. He's obviously aware of it. I mean, um, I don't know if you saw the piece Josh Robinson did in the Wall Street Journal where the, (laughs) the poor man went back through four and a half hours of Bob Bradley press conferences. And noted down every time he'd used Yeah, you know,
0: I, ha- I have it here in front of me,
2: Jonathan. Actually, it was very it was very good. It was a painstaking <laughs> piece of journalism by Josh. <laughs> he went there. and what he actually discovered was that Bob Bradley was quite disciplined about usually using the sort of British word. So I mean if you if you look at it for instance Times, uh, Britishism, football, Americanism, soccer. And he said football 77 times and soccer zero times. Training 38 times and practice zero times. Uh, match 35 times and game 93 times. But game, I say game all the time. I,
3: I say game, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure that distinction really exists. But, I mean, that, that's, that's my point. Bradley was clearly really aware of this and was, you know, that never saying soccer is incredible to have that discipline, to have taught himself to, to do that. Um, you know, he, he was obviously aware that that could be an issue and, and uh and uh, you yeah, know with with the pk thing the fact that he immediately corrected himself yeah he knew that it sounded or yeah there's a potential it could get um, you know get an audience's backs up but i mean i i think that's you know it's all this is window dressing if he got good results it wouldn't have mattered uh it's it's just that when things go badly that's you pick up the nearest stick to to hit the guy with <laughs> um but then there's been the sort of the strange reverse reaction and i think you you see this with um us players as well that there's a weird um determination to defend in, in in the us media which obviously we probably see more of now than we would have done 10 or 20 years ago um you know, to to defend the american in britain and sort of blame everything on Polkianism. anti-Americanism. so i remember when Josie altador was it was sonland and Alexi Lannis was banging on about how oh, Sunderland fans never give Altidore a chance. He was useless. Like, I, I feel deep, deep sympathy for Josie Altidore because he scored a perfectly good goal against Arsenal. Was it his debut? Was it his second game? It would have equalised, and it should have stood. And Sunderland been given a free kick on the edge of the box when an advantage clearly should have been played. And you think if that goal had stood, would his confidence was incredibly ah, come attractive. on? He, he, didn't,
2: he, didn't he score something like two goals in forty five
3: games? I think he scored three. Uh, I might be in, in the league. Yeah, I think he scored three. Um, but he's a specialist against Chelsea. He scored twice against Chelsea and got a penalty against Chelsea. So against Chelsea it was fantastic. So uh, right. you uh, are right,
2: Jones. I'm just looking at it here. It was um, 42 Premier League games and one goal, but 52 games overall and, and three goals. He scored two in the League, the league Cup, Cup as well. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, But I mean, that, that's not, that's not no, the record of, of a terribute. player who could it.
3: Uh, I remember it was a game at Crystal Palace, it's on the one three one when he came on with about a quarter of an hour to go. And I remember on, being on the train home, I mean, I don't know if you've taken that train, but a very lo- it's not a very long way into London, but it takes forever. It's a really annoying journey. And sitting there thinking, I don't think Chelsea Alder did anything useful. And you're trying to run that 15 minutes through my head, trying to think of something usefully done, and then calling up my stats on my phone. Five touches, five attempted passes, passes completed, nil. So he'd literally, in 15 minutes plus injury time on the pitch, done nothing useful. And then, I mean, Alexi Lalas was a person I saw, I'm sure, other people, criticising Sondland for not giving him a chance. He was terrible. And he got to the, got to the point by the end that um, it, it was worse than fans booing him. Fans pitied him. So every time he did the most simple thing well, he got applauded. So fans were actually going out their way to try and be nice to him, which only made it worse. Mm. Um, and yeah, you know, there's a couple of things I've seen um, about Bradley. People saying saying you saying similar things. He'd never given a chance that critics turned on him faster than they would have turned on an English manager or, or a Welsh manager. You know, if you if you only win two out of eleven games, letting twenty nine goals, there's never going to be much patience for you. Yeah. It's true that the nature of the criticism maybe was conditioned by by his background, and I certainly think the fact that. He shared a nationality with these two unpopular owners, made things a million times worse. Um, But, you know, the the record speaks to itself. Just
1: quickly, Jonathan, um, Ryan Giggs, a man very much steeped in British football culture. Is he the obvious choice or is is Swansea the obvious choice for him? Will he deign to step down a number of levels and actually manage a team?
3: (laughs) Um, I've got no idea why he'd take that job it just seems crazy well, he, has, he has, to take, has
1: to take a job at some point I mean yeah. this is like the Alan Shearer thing where it's ah, I see myself as a number one now fairness is a little unfair Giggs has obviously done a lot, a lot more coaching than Alan Shearer did but you know he's got to start somewhere
3: You do have to start somewhere but the place to start is is I would have said not a club that's going downhill very very fast mm-hmm. um, you know if you, whoever takes over there it's an almost impossible job to keep him up I, I would say I mean okay they're not massively adrift but the morale of the club, um, the, the, the state of the squad. Um, you know, if, if Giggs wants a job, you let some patsy come in, take it till May and, and take it in June when they're already down, and he can maybe rebuild from there. I think to take over now, you are just gonna, you end up with a relegation on your, on your CV within five or six months, and that's the kind of thing that, that can haunt you. I, I, oh, look, there goes Ryan Giggs, the, the man who took Swansea down with 25 points, in the same way that those eight games that Shearer had at Newcastle. Uh, marked him out he won one of those eight I think he's a man who took Newcastle down I mean however much he, he loves the club how many goals he scored for the club but that's still his one job in management he, he relegated the club he loves um, now we okay Giggs doesn't have the same emotional connection with Swansea but does he want to be the man who relegated the Welsh club in the Premier League I wouldn't
1: alright fair point Jonathan listen have a great new year thanks Emil
3: cheers you too thanks
1: that does sound like rather painstaking work by that
2: Wall Street Journal journalist yeah, that was Joshua Robinson. He, uh, he's a man who does the grunt work. He puts in the hours. And having listened to more than four hours of Bob Bradley Pressures, he compiled a list, um, well, how many, 10 different terms, which, of which there's a sort of British-flavoured and American-flavoured um, you know, variant. So football versus soccer. 77 times Bradley said football, zero times soccer. That's disciplined training. Thirty-eight mark practice zero times. You don't say practice. We talking about practice. We never talk about practice. We never say practice. Um, On this side of the Atlantic, match thirty-five, game ninety-three.
1: But as we said, yeah, people say
2: game. Yeah, supporters sixteen, fans four. Hold on,
1: supporters and fans are interchangeable. In which one is the Americanism there?
2: Fans, Um, supporters, Americans. Don't really say supporters unless they're talking about Donald Trump voters. Trump supporter, for some reason. Maybe it sounds, maybe it sounds kind of, to say, a fan of a politician. sounds makes it sound too trivial when you say supporter. Um, yeah, clean this, Yeah, There's nothing trivial about US politics, but go on. Clean sheet, eight, shut out, zero times. Clean sheet was actually a, an example that Bradley himself came up with. When, when he was criticized for this, he said PK. People were like, what oh, do you mean PK? And he said, well, you know... Uh, I was in France and I talked about I said, Oh, it's great. We've he was the manager of the Havre and said, I've got a clean sheet and we got a clean sheet and they're like, What do you mean clean sheet? You know, what what does that like? What's the opposite of that? Like dirty sheets? What are you talking about? Um, but clean sheet should eight should out zero. Penalty five, PK one. So that was a little error that slipped through. Table five, standings zero. Dressing room three, locker room zero, fixtures three, schedule two. And pitch three, field 26. Ooh, to say on the field, um, you
1: know, does it get people's backs up? Apparently so. Uh, I think he's done pretty well overall there. Yes, he has. He's he's uh, he, he's he avoided most of the really bad pitfalls. Like a sh- shutout. Shutout, would, uh, he, he just would have been sacked as soon as he said it. Mm. Say, say that word, use that phrase, you're gone. Well, offense. Offense. To say oh Boom off- yeah boom shakalaka, that would definitely um, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be gone yeah you, don't, you you can't say
2: offense or to say defense with that you know that stress or whatever instead of defense um but look that's just uh it's just the way Americans talk I mean it's okay isn't it it doesn't matter everyone's familiar with the way Americans speak English and It's a perfectly valid hmm. way to speak English. Why should people think any less of somebody just because they are a football man and he describes himself as a football man? A um, football man with an American accent. This
1: was locker room talk.
2: <laughs> that was Donald Trump, not uh, Bob.
1: Just to, be, Just to be clear. Just to be clear. Last word on today's show goes to the main man, the overlord, the football overlord, Gianni Infantino. You wanted Sorry. to bring up something that he's been. And he's,
2: Gianni Infantino. Well, it's Christmas. I suppose it's Christmas time. Um, and I don't know if you you know that song, Christmas Every Day, or is it. Uh, Christmas in Heaven, uh, The Sound of Music Twice, One Hour, Jaws 1, 2, and 3. Johnny um, Infantino is obviously a fan of the concept. Um, uh, you know, well, maybe not Christmas every day, but what about if everybody was in the World Cup? What about if we had a World Cup and everyone was invited? But they already are, Johnny. Uh, that's the idea of the qualifying tournament. No, no, no. I mean a finals tournament with pretty much everybody. Um... 48 teams in the World Cup is this idea. I mean, that's a huge expansion. That's a 50% expansion. You know, the last time it was expanded was from 24 to 32, which is, you know, okay, 32, you know, a, a little third, bloated. A third again. Already it's, it's kind of got to the point where it's like, oh, is this thing over yet? You know what I mean? To the idea of bringing it up to 48. But he now says there is overwhelming support um, for the idea of. Um, for the for the idea of world cup expansion from the regional federations which is not really surprising given that the idea it's like why why was John Delaney in favor of 24 teams in the euros you know what i mean
1: yeah because ireland have a better chance we've got a better chance Ireland's of got qualifying there in the end yeah
2: that means we have a better chance of getting in and we have a better chance of getting the money not just that it's all about money but the money is, is a great mm, aspect of, business, of, yeah. of european qualification um and so everybody, all the teams, sort of individually, are in favour of it. But of course, the teams have quite different interests from the World Cup tournament, which is what FIFA is supposed to be kind of safeguarding.
1: Presumably, the biggest countries aren't in favour of it, though. Why would why would the countries who qualify all the time anyway? Why yeah, Brazil, well, are actually well, or Brazil or Germany, Brazil. These,
2: these, I'm sure they're not. I'm okay,
1: sure. Okay, but oh, but their association, their, their regional associations, is enough smaller countries yeah. get in them that, that yeah, you've that only weighed.
2: you've only got a couple of big teams I suppose in each uh, in each re- regional Federation and lots of small teams who haven't qualified for the World Cup and don't have much chance of doing so I mean I suppose Ireland is one of those uh, the way things are set up at the moment who might be able to get into a 48 team tournament 16 groups of three um, various other ideas like that I mean I just think it's I think it's an awful idea I think the the whole point it's 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 like a basic economic principle, you know, that, like, if you create a load more of something, it's not as value, valuable, rather, as it was. It's kind of like a basic sort of supply and demand principle. Like, if you have tons and tons more World Cup matches, suddenly each match is no longer as big a deal. I mean, FIFA obviously think that there's kind of an infinite or a very inelastic sort of demand curve for this sort of thing. You know, it's like we can... You know, it's just pure gold. The World Cup is just gold. The world can't get enough of it. People can get enough of it. Like to spew out more terrible matches, I feel just diminishes the value. You know, it's it's oh, God, I can I'm getting tired. I can't even think
1: I of it. But
2: it looks you know, I think this is I think there's every chance this is gonna happen. I mean, it's clear uh, the top guy at FIFA wants it, it's clear the regional federations want it. Um, nobody here is standing up for the idea of the World Cup. It seems like it's it, the World Cup is an inexhaustible resource that can never be devalued, no matter how much more of it there is. Um, I disagree with that, but uh, I'm sure, as you said...
1: Gianni Infinitino doesn't disagree with it. No. Game. Nice. Thanks, Ken we've got a, we've got a show out which we put out in Stevens' day some of the highlights from the Irish Times Second Ga- Sa- Se- Captains podcast during the year Jerry Eisenberg talking with Muhammad Ali Emmanuel Petit with myself and Ken met him Tyke Furlong a lot of good stuff in that one there's also the Christmas Pudding you probably got that before you headed off on your Christmas break but if not just scroll down a couple of shows there some of the best audio montages top five audio montage that we produced during the year plenty in there we'll be back with more fresh new pods next Tuesday that you here in January in the meantime Happy New Year and thanks very much for all the support during 2016 thanks again Happy New Year and
2: thank you too and Happy New Year to you we'll chat to you soon take care That's the second time it's gone off never
3: go home they never go home they never go home those stuff